Mountain to Mountain, we are Radio Catskill. Welcome to the Local Edition. I'm your host, Jason Dole. Thank you so much for joining us this evening. Coming up, the village of New Paltz and the town of New Paltz are once again looking at merging. Meanwhile, Route 17 is looking at expanding, and a new report suggests that may not be the best idea. And do you remember Woodstock 94? The town of Saugerties sure hopes so. Those stories and more coming up in our weekly news roundup with the Times Union. But first, we've got news from New York's capital, where at a budget hearing today, opposition to Governor Kathy Hochul's school aid reductions united Democrats and Republicans. Lawmakers called the cuts devastating and said the changes will mean millions of dollars in losses to nearly half of the school districts around the state. Karen DeWitt has more. Thank you very much, Chair, and thank you, Commissioner Rosa and your staff. Lawmakers, including Democratic Senate Education Chair Shelley Mayer, questioned State Education Commissioner Betty Rosa about the impact of Hochul's budget. It would result in 337 out of around 700 school districts receiving millions of dollars less in aid in the 2024-2025 school year. In New York, the State Education Commissioner does not work directly for the governor, but instead answers to the State Board of Regents. That's chosen by the legislature. Rosa told Mayer that she, as well as the state school districts, were taken by surprise by some of the governor's proposals, including a plan to eliminate what's known as hold harmless. That policy has guaranteed that no school district receives less money than it did in the previous year. Rosa says it comes at a time when schools are already grappling with the end of millions of dollars in supplemental federal funding awarded during the pandemic. I think a lot of districts were were caught off guard, right, in knowing that we're going through that process of the uh, federal financial cliff and then having this also happen. It's really, in many ways, um, this has really created um, the kinds of distress for districts. Assemblyman Doug Smith, a Republican who represents portions of Long Island, says school districts that he represents face millions of dollars in cuts under the governor's plan to end Hold Harmless. This is devastating. You know, you're talking about hundreds of teachers potentially being laid off at a time where learning loss is a major issue and at a time where we're trying to expand programs, teach students uh, to uh, how to read properly. Rosa told lawmakers that the Education Department has been breaking down the data in Hochul's budget. She agrees that programs that were started to mitigate the effects of the pandemic, like those addressing mental health, as well as teaching jobs, would be affected if the reductions remain. Hochul also wants to change the way the rate of inflation is calculated when allocating what's known as foundation aid for schools. Instead of relying on the consumer price index, she wants to average the inflation rate for a 10-year period, then disregard the lowest and highest numbers to come to an average rate. In her budget proposal, that translates to a 2.4% increase, instead of one that's based on the current rate of inflation, which is 3.8%. Senator John Liu, a Democrat, asked Rosa whether that change makes any sense. Is there any logic to changing from a one-year basis to a 10-year basis? Rosa answered that she does not think it makes sense. I think that's a fair statement. Meanwhile, Governor Hochul is doubling down on the proposed changes. Hochul says it's inaccurate to call the changes cuts. She says the funding is lower because she ramped up school aid by $7 billion over the past two years to comply with a court order, and schools cannot expect that every year. 
She says changing the school aid distribution formula and ending the halt harmless provision is simply common sense in the wake of declining enrollment in schools. Seventy-five percent of schools are not getting the same funding they got last year under this. Hold harmless concept, which we really need to talk about that intensely about the、uh, the logic behind having formulas that are based on a run of what population was in 2008, as if there's been no out migration, there's been no shifting, there's not schools that have more need that the money should be allocated for. The governor says she believes if she tells the truth to New Yorkers, they will understand and support her plan. In Albany, I'm Karen Dewitt for the New York Public News Network. Thank you, Karen Dewitt. Now it's time for the latest news from the Times Union, and for that we turn to Times Union Hudson Valley Bureau Managing Editor Philip Pantuso. Philip, welcome back to the show. Good to be with you. Let's start in New Paltz, where the town and village are exploring a merger. How would that work? <laughs> yeah. So、uh, last week at a joint session of、uh, village and town. Leaders.、Uh, it was a public session, so the public was there too. They approved a motion to explore consolidation. So, what that would look like basically is the town and village governments would merge. The borders of the village would expand to be、um, coterminous with the borders of the town,、um, and it would just be one, probably town of New Paltz. The way this isn't the first time that they've looked at doing this.、Um, there was an earlier proposal back、uh, in 2014,、um, and the two municipalities hired a consulting firm to do a, a really extensive study, looking at the costs and the benefits,、um, and they found that basically it was going to be too unwieldy, mostly because of some of the costs. Associated with it, and some of the、um, ways they would have to reconstitute、uh, services like emergency and, and fire services.、Um, the thing that's kind of changed since then is that now they already share a lot of services,、uh, both emergency services, but also water and sewer. And the the reason that town officials and village officials are are exploring this now and say that it would be a good idea. Is that it would just smooth out a lot of、um, bureaucratic red tape that currently exists, and they say prevents、um, both governments from operating as efficiently as they would like.、Um, the most notable hurdle, I guess, that they that they face is in approving development, which you know we've talked about housing on the show many times. New policies. It's a place that's been hit pretty hard by the housing crisis, as well.、Um, so, you know, for example,、um, there's a 250-unit development that's proposed just south of the SUNY New Paltz campus called New Paltz Apartments.、Um, that complex is on town land, but it needs water and sewer services. But the town doesn't operate sewer and water; the village does. So that means the developer of New Paltz Apartments. Apartments has to ha- has to apply to have that land annexed by the village, so that、uh, it can run sewer and water to this development.、Um, there's another site off the throughway that has no water and sewer connection, so that would also have to be、um, annexed by the village.、Um, 
So this is going to be, I, I think, a long-term process. Um, there's there's state funding that would enable this merger to happen. They are hoping, I think, to try to get it on the ballot as a ballot proposition uh, this November, um, which would be pretty quick. But but um, Neil Bettis, the town supervisor, said that the reason for doing that is that, you know, it's a presidential election year. There's already going to be high turnout. And it's more likely that you'll get more voters coming out weighing in on this issue if you get it as a ballot proposal for 2024 than if you have to do a special election in 2025. Right. You get a better read on what people are thinking, a more uh, honest assessment through a vote. Yeah. Are there folks that don't like this idea? Um, certainly no one in town or village leadership. Um, you know, they both, both the town supervisor and the village mayor are singing from the same songbook here. Um, at the joint session last week, there, there weren't really any dissenting voices. We'll see as this, um, you know, as this process plays out, um, you know, one of the kind of quirks of the way New Paltz works is that the town and the village have roughly the same population. And so that's, you know, that's pretty unusual. It, it's much more common to have a town that retains several villages. And the way that government, you know, is structured in New York State, the village um, system of government is usually a little bit more efficient. You know, there, there's a mayor um, and he oversees the board and ha- has a little bit more statutory authority, whereas towns, of course, are run by by uh, by boards that uh are overseen by a town supervisor who generally has little executive power. So um, ultimately, this is this would lead to, I think, more streamlined operations of local government, which I think most taxpayers in the town and village will be happy to see. And there's not really going to be an, an associated cost burden with it because village uh, – Village residents already pay town taxes. So um, it's really just to streamline the way the government operates. Yeah, and uh, what you say there about the village and the town having the same population, that's that's what all of a sudden makes the whole concept understandable to me because, as I understand, a town is big and a village might be populous, but it's a smaller area within a town. And you're saying basically it's the same pop- the same people occupying both the village and the town. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the the way that New Paltz works is the village is basically right in the heart of the town. Uh, and so, you know, there's townspeople are shopping in the village, uh, paying those associated taxes in the village anyway. Um, and the people who actually do live in the village, you know, as, as I mentioned, they're already paying town taxes because that's just the way it works in New York State. Right. Um. Next story is uh, such a new story. It's not even out yet, but this will be out tomorrow. And this is uh, about an ongoing thing that we've been talking about here on Radio Catskill the last couple of years. It's the proposed expansion of Route 17. Is this just adding an extra lane? Yeah, so it's actually out this morning um, as we're talking. Uh, this is a, a new study that came out recently by the Regional Planning Association, which is a think tank that looks at um, – development and transportation issues in the tri-state area. Um, 
they uh, they analyzed the Route 17 plans and the purported benefits that are promoted by the project supporters who believe that widening the road will boost the local economy uh, and ease traffic. Um, you know, I think most people might be aware of the fact that that road is, uh, especially coming off the throughway as it goes along uh, the, like, you know, Rockland and Sullivan County, it, it can be pretty crowded. It's the road you take to like resorts, World Catskills, for example, off the throughway or Legoland. And there's been a, you know, at this point, an over a decade long push to, um, to widen or to expand Route 17. Um, the, there was a big transportation study uh, funded by Senator Schumer back in 2013 that recommended adding uh, a lane to the highway. And there was another study uh, a couple of years ago that reinforced that. And last year, Governor Hochul earmarked $1 billion for the proposed improvements. Yeah, most, mostly it would, it would widen the highway, but they would also boost some of the infrastructure around interchanges there. But what this regional plan association study found is that while that might address the traffic issue in the short term, in the long run, it's actually going to make the problem worse. And what they, what they cite by way of explanation is this concept called induced demand, which says that um, creating more space on a highway uh, just, in, just invites more people to use the highway. And that's been shown time and time and again to be uh, essentially a fact. Like if you were to add, if you were to widen the highway, then more people will use it. And, um, and it's going to eventually have probably the same issues with congestion. Um, and of course, it would also lead to more pollution, um, which is counter to the state's environmental goals. So they... They say that it's that the state and local officials should explore alternative ways of addressing um, of addressing the issues with Route 17 in that area. Right. So this is something that we've been hearing for years, actually, from local environmentalists saying that induced demand is is this reality here. So now there's this fresh study kind of backing us up. Is this in any way uh, going to change the mind of Governor Hochul administration and New York State? We'll see. Um, there's, there's still a lot of time for this process to play out. The Regional Plan Association told us that they felt it was important to get this study out um, ASAP because most of the money – that the governor earmarked for this project last year has not been spent yet. So, um, and, and, you know, this, this is still kind of in the, in the study and design phase. It, it hasn't actually begun. So um, we'll see. We, we have inquiries out to uh, the Department of Transportation about whether they're going to change their approach um, or, or, or recommend or a, a different solution basically to the congestion problems down there in response to this, but we have not yet heard back. Okay. We've got some more stories to go over. I'm just wanting to take a quick break right now. Uh, when we come back more with Tilipan Tuso, managing editor of the Times Union Hudson Valley Bureau. Stay with us. You're listening to the local edition, winner of excellence in broadcasting awards from the New York state broadcasters association, radio Catskill. Listen local.
Hello, my name is John Gordon, and I host a music show right here on WJFF called Ramble Tamble. It airs every Thursday evening from 7 to 9 p.m. I love music, and I play all kinds of different music. That's Ramble Tamble, Thursday nights, 7 to 9, right here on WJFF. Today on The Daily. For the past few weeks, Democrats and Republicans were closing in on a game-changing deal to secure the U.S.-Mexico border, the kind of bipartisan compromise that's unheard of in contemporary Washington. I'm Michael Barbaro. That's today on The Daily. From The New York Times. At 6.30 on Radio Catskill. Right after the local edition. From Rare Pair Radio, playing you the fruit of all things sweet, Fridays, 8 p.m. to 9 p.m., mostly female artists from rock, funk, punk, pop, and more. All rare, only on WJFF Radio Catskill. Welcome back to the local edition. I'm Jason Dole, and I've got Philip Pantuso from the Times Union on the phone, and we're going over the latest news. Um, so, Philip, uh, there's a number of crime stories that we keep circling back to because justice takes time, but uh, there's a development in the Megan McDonald murder case. Yeah, so this is Megan McDonald was the woman who uh, was killed uh, almost 21 years ago now. Uh, her body was found off of a rural road in the town of Wallkill. And it's been, um, you know, this kind of unsolved murder that has every year uh, near the April anniversary of the killing gets a lot of attention, particularly in local media. The police have never considered it a cold case because they've always had leads that they have investigated. Um, and last year, they uh, state police arrested a man called Edward Holly. And, um, and charged him with the killing. Um, this is kind of complicated, but I'll try to explain it best I can. Um, the state police in arresting and charging Holly um, kind of did an end run around Orange County District Attorney David Hoogler. Um And so he was not aware of, uh, of the charges and... Um, essentially said that uh, his office wasn't ready yet to prosecute this. And so after they, after they made this charge last summer, um, there was that, that opened up a six day window for the district attorney's office to present its case to a grand jury. Uh, Holly missed, or uh, not Holly, uh, Hoover, the DA missed that window and then recused himself from the case because he had represented in, uh, in private practice years earlier another person in connection with uh, this investigation. So after that, a special prosecutor was appointed, and uh, her, her name is Julia Quinaccio. Uh, she and her co-counsel have spent the past several months going over all of the evidence that the state police gathered in their investigation and essentially putting together a case that they've been presenting to a grand jury. Uh, and then that grand jury um, 
on Monday handed up an indictment charging Holly again with second degree murder in connection with the killing. So we're sort of back where we were. We have a primary suspect charged with murder uh, in the killing of Megan McDonald. Um, but this time it seems likely to stick. Um, he is going to be arraigned uh, tomorrow, Friday. And then, um, you know, it sounds like this is probably going to go to trial because his attorney uh, has steadfastly denied that he had any role in this murder the whole time. He was a former boyfriend of, of Megan McDonald. And at least this, we haven't, we haven't seen the grand jury indictment yet because it's still sealed. We're going to look at it on Friday, but um, the state police theory of the case anyway, was that um, he was basically a spurned lover and, and killed Megan McDonald out of jealousy. Wow. Um, it, but if I'm, if I'm understanding you're right, this, so this is the second time Edward Holly has been charged for this killing. Yeah. Second time. That doesn't, um, that doesn't usually happen, right? Like, isn't there like, like laws against that? There are laws against it. Yeah. It's called double jeopardy. Um, you can't be charged twice with the same crime, but the only reason that was able to happen this time is because the initial charge, uh, basically didn't stick. Right. So the state police were the ones who charged him initially, but that the burden for actually prosecuting that case fell on the district attorney's office. And um, because the state police operated kind of independently of the district attorney, and it's not exactly clear why that's the case. um, The DA's office Hoover said that he wasn't really prepared to move forward with the case. Um, They didn't have all of the evidence together. He hadn't gone through all all of the evidence yet and really couldn't present a compelling case to uh, a grand jury when the initial charge from state police came down last summer. And so Holly at the time was in prison or in jail for an unrelated misdemeanor charge. And when he finished his time served there, he just got to walk because uh, the state police charge didn't stick. If Edward Holly's attorney is just uh, asserting his client's innocence, uh, does that mean he doesn't take issue with this process, these two charges? He's good with the whole process so far? Um, You could say that. He's definitely not saying that any kind of law was broken he he sent us he was in um he was on vacation i think somewhere in the caribbean when this indictment was handed up on monday so he sent us a long statement via text message um several hours after the indictment was handed up and he he really chastised the whole grand jury process not really specifically what happened in this case but the whole idea of um you know, prosecutors, in this case, a special prosecutor, having kind of time to present their case to a grand jury. Um, so he uh, he's definitely mad about it. Um, and he continues to say that his client is innocent. So I, you know, he'll get he'll get a look at the evidence, um, you know, uh, during the discovery process. And, uh, you know, when he sees what they have, what, and when he sees what the prosecutors have, 
you know, that may change what happens with the case and whether or not it actually goes uh, to a full trial. Um, but as of this point, he is digging in his heels. Okay. And uh, Times Union reporter Lana Bellamy following charges or claims of discrimination in Orange County. What's that story? Yeah, this was um, this was a tip that Lana got uh, a couple days ago. Uh, Justin Rodriguez, who is the Orange County spokesman and a longtime assistant to the county executive, filed a, filed a federal discrimination lawsuit in uh, in U.S. District Court in White Plains, alleging that his former supervisor, the deputy county executive Harry Poor, had made discriminatory remarks over a period of many months based on his heritage and religion. So Rodriguez is of Puerto Rican and Jewish descent, and he claimed that uh, Deputy County Executive Poor made jokes about his heritage that um, became so distressing that he, he had to seek therapy. So this lawsuit was filed on January 19th, and he's seeking um, – monetary damages, and a jury trial for what he alleges are violations of uh, the 14th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, which you know has the Equal Protection Clause, and, um, and New York State Human Rights Law. So this was just recently filed in federal court? Yeah, yeah. And the complaint, it's a five-page complaint, and it has a bunch of details of um, the alleged harassment, um, including, um, well, I don't even really want to repeat it because it's kind of gross, but uh, there are a lot of examples in there of Deputy County Executive Poor allegedly um, making discriminatory remarks um, based on his heritage and his uh, religion. This lawsuit was just filed. Uh, This is going to take some time before we see what happens next, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, we did reach out to Deputy County Executive Poor for a comment, and he said, I never discriminated against Justin. He knows it, and I know it. So, um, you know, just like in the case we were talking about, the defendant is not exactly um, admitting to any wrongdoing as of yet. So, you know, we'll see how that bears on on how this case plays out. Right. Well, finally, uh, a bit of a fun story. Saugerties is putting together a 30th anniversary celebration of Woodstock 94. Uh, this is an anniversary celebration of an anniversary celebration? Yeah, yeah that's right. Um, Saugerties Chamber of Commerce um, is is buying uh, an August weekend to, to celebrate Woodstock 94. Um, I'd argue it's the sort of forgotten Woodstock um, and certainly not as famous as the original Woodstock and uh, not as notorious as Woodstock 99, which was beset by all types of criminality and, and destruction. Um, Woodstock 94, you know, we, ha- we have a really lovely story that um, that culture contributor John Barry uh, wrote for us. He actually covered Woodstock 94 uh, as a young journalist at the time, I think for the Poughkeepsie Journal. And he spoke to uh, a number of people who attended Woodstock 94, both as um, just concert goers and also um, some band members and, and just gathered like some, some really delightful memories. Um, the Saugerties Chamber of Commerce put together a special committee to plan 
this anniversary celebration. Uh, there's going to be, sounds like there's going to be music. Um, and it's going to be at Winston Farm, which is where Woodstock 94 was and where the Woodstock organizer, Michael Lang, originally wanted to have Woodstock 69 before it got too big and famously was moved out to Sullivan County. Um, they are also going to put together this kind of video retrospective of people sharing memories of Woodstock 94. So they're kind of openly seeking people who attended that concert to write into them um, and arrange uh, arrange a time where they could share their memories. I think you're right to say that it's, that it's kind of forgotten. Uh, I, like, I wouldn't call it forgotten, but I was 16 at the time, and there was a lot of big bands, contemporary bands at that time, too, like Primus and Nine Inch Nails, as well as things like Crosby, Stills, Nash. I, I like the fact that people are, are remembering that this actually happened because it was a pretty big deal in our area and there was, you know, multi-generational big name artists there. So who knows? Maybe they'll get Green Day to come back. They're touring uh, this year anyway. So yeah, nice. yeah. <laughs> uh, but they probably won't don the mud again. That's a once in a lifetime thing. Uh, <laughs> Philip, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to go over all of this with us and all of the fill, all of the stories that we've gone over here today are up at timesunion.com. Philip, thank you again. You got it. Take care. Well, that's all the time that we have for the local edition tonight. Thank you so much for listening. Do keep on listening. Go to wjffradio.org. We're always live streaming. Coming up, we've got the daily, and then it's time for Ramble Tamble. This is Radio Catskill. Radio Catskill supporters include Sullivan Catskills Visitors Association, SullivanCatskills.com, Catskill Brewery, brewing ales, lagers, and mixed fermentation beers in a LEED Gold certified building, plus a food truck and beer garden at exit 96 off Route 17 in Livingston Manor, CatskillBrewery.com, and listeners like you